welcome to the Truth 316 Podcast, the place that we honor that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Our prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. In our second part of Hebrews chapter 12 today, we talk about the theological and practical implications of serving our sovereign king. You know, as we participate in classroom discussions, there are times when comments or questions and answers can be confused by the way that they were interpreted by the listener. And that's exactly an example of what happens today when Pastor Matt is explaining a particular passage. The, one of the words that he uses, which is intercede or for intercession, is interpreted by one definition when he intended it for another. So the question is asked in class for clarification, and Pastor Matt is able to respond and give that uh, clarity. And I think this is just a great example of how we are to interact with each other so we uh, can avoid uh, confusion, so we can have things cleared up, because we want to try to be as biblically accurate as we possibly can to honor our Lord and King. I hope you enjoy today's class. This is it. Last class for Hebrews and Heroes. One more. Last class with me. Was <laughs> what I meant to say. I'm not, I'm not going to get through the chapter anyways. Well, so just, just in case... You need to know this, that last night I went to a, a chili cook-off competition and I tried 17 different chilies. So if I appear to levitate, it is not a magic trick. Maybe you shouldn't get so close to the wall. Yeah. Uh, the windows are open. I knew it wouldn't take much to get you guys started on the comments, but so Pastor Matt normally starts or ends his classes with the so what question, right? What does it mean for us? What's the practical side of our study? And you know, the fact of the matter is our, our lessons today are almost exclusively practical. There's, there's theology behind um, every bit of what we, we study, of course, but really the practical side of what this means for us is exactly what Pastor Hunt was talking about this morning, right? If you're, if you're just sitting in the pews, if you're just within the four walls, if you're just listening to what the Scripture is telling you but not active in your discipleship, then you're really not participating in the body of Christ to which we've been called. And that's what this book has been about. The, the idea of being witnesses in way of review um, is that Greek word that, that we get our word martyr from, right? And that's for Christ. That's to be a faithful follower. Um, these are the things that are promised and expected of us to suffer and to submit. These are very difficult things, of course. Um, it's interesting that Satan is defeated by the word of their testimony, that's our testimony, and of course that word that we proclaim has got to be Christ. It's got to be the word with a capital W. And then we're to consider the ways of Jesus, that's when we meditate on his word, 
And then we have to expect discipline. You know, we're going to be we're going to be raised up by the way a proper parent would raise their children, and that's to discipline, to correct and, and, and instruct in, in the proper ways. And uh, the loving Father that we have in heaven certainly will not slack in his discipline for us, which we have to be thankful. We don't like it because it includes the pain and the, and the suffering that we have to go through temporarily. We opened uh, back in April, by the way. This is when this class began in Hebrews chapter 1, and we started with this opening verse that goes long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power." After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. This is the theological aspect of the book of Hebrews right here. This is really what it encompasses, that Christ is the superior one to all of creation. And of course, that makes sense because he is the creator and the sustainer of, of all things. And it also states here that he is our savior, right? Because he, it says here in the middle uh, section here that after he made a purification for sins. Well, how does he make the purification for sins? The death, the death on the cross, exactly right. So, um, and we know all this, but then it says after that that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, okay? So, he sat down. He's in the position of rulership. He is our king. He is the Lord. He's sovereign over all, and he has authority over all of his creation. So there he is ruling, and, and, and now what? So that's, that's the theological point to make. But look at there's another aspect that we have to consider here. Uh, in verse 4, it says, having become as much superior to angels. Now, wait a minute. He's God, right? How does God, who is pure being, become Anything. What's the answer? Exactly. Because he was... Well, is that bumping around? Because he was incarnated, right? He stepped into the flesh. He put on the flesh for our sakes. And therefore, we have this term that we say uh, that he was truly God, truly man, right? The, the term is vera homo, vera um, deus, which is truly God, or very God, very man, okay? So we understand that there is an aspect that Christ has two natures. That's weird, right? That's all we can really say about it. You can't really explain it too much deeper than that because your mind will just go, you know, it's just, it's just too much to handle. But the fact of the matter is that when Christ was here, when it speaks to the fact that he became superior to the angels, that's speaking to the incarnation part, okay? Would you agree with that, Pastor? Anything else you want to add? See where you're going. You're gonna see where I'm going with that. That's it. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. You can't go too much further. But the idea, I just wanted, I wanted to show. This is the, the theological side and the aspect to what true religion is about. That God stepped into the flesh. That's why all the other religions that are out there around the entire word world cannot satisfy the wrath of God. Right? You can't have one aspect of religion that says that all roads all roads lead to Rome. Right? Any religion works as long as you just pray to God without having the substitutionary atonement for the sins, which is through Christ. So then 
we did our study. We got all the way through the next 11 chapters, right? This is all the content of the book, amazing theological and practical information along the way. And we come to chapter 11 where it speaks um, about all those who have gone before us. And then we have this, this word that starts off chapter 12. It says, therefore. Well, therefore what? Therefore, because of all that was said before, not only chapter 11, but because of the entire content of this letter or this sermon, which is probably um, more succinct, it says, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sound familiar? Sounds almost exactly like chapter 1, doesn't it? This is, this is the, the summary statement that we're, that we're coming to, and this is exactly what we're supposed to do. This is the practical side of it. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run. There's the doing. This is the practical side. So what? This is what we are called to do. And as we see here also, it wraps up this, this section here um, with Jesus Christ, again, being ex- explained as the progenitor of our, of our faith, right? The author and the finisher of our faith. He begins this good work. He not only is the author of our faith, but he is the author and perfecter of the faith, the true faith that's lived out in the covenant relationship that is, exists between the, the Father and the Son and between the Father and all of his elect. That's the covenant. It's, it's something that begins as a divine plan before creation. I think it's spoken of kind of clearly, or at least inferred to in John chapter 17 in that high priestly prayer of Christ. Okay. Any thoughts or comments so far on this? I need a drink. This makes sense so far? Yes. The word endurance uh, stands out to me in that verse and that would imply that this race that we're running is more a marathon than a sprint. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. Not for wimps. <laughs> no. Christ, the eternal ruler, we have him again stated as enduring the cross, despising the shame, and he's now ascended to the throne. To the throne room. So we pick up where we left off last week and it says, this is kind of a, um, still in a manner of review. It says, but you have come, this is verses 22 and chapter 12 through 24. If you, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and so innumerable and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, if you recall from last um, last time uh, that I spoke, because last week was the, the missionaries, right? But last time that I was up here... We talked about these two mountains. One was Sinai, and this other one is Mount Zion. And so uh, one is Moses and the giving of the law. And what, what was the result of the law for the people of Israel? They became guilty of not keeping it. <laughs> right? They convicted them, right? It was, it was the schoolmaster that just showed 
Yeah, you really are sinful. This, these are the things that you are unable to keep. Right? But with that, God demonstrates his mercy uh, by that uh, through the saving sacrifices that atone for sin. So there's, an, there's this atoning sacrifice that'll, that'll come in. And then we compare that to, um, to Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, Zion, that future, that future city, Jerusalem, Depending on what your view is of the end time scenario, your eschatology is, is that going to be a heavenly city in earth that, that's coming before the final judgment? That's kind of the, the scenario. If that's the case or if it's something that takes place um, after the final judgment in eternity. And so you'll have to kind of wrestle through that. But it's interesting here that it says, um, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable, innumerable angels in festal gathering. Festal gathering, if anybody attended the, uh, the Feast of the Lord class that I did a year or so ago, this was in regard to the shadows of Christ in the Old Testament feast where you have things like the Passover, right? The Feast of First Fruits, um, Unleavened Bread, then you have the Pentecost celebration, and then you have your fall feasts, which are trumpets, right? The first of the seventh month. And then you have the Day of Atonement, and then you have tabernacles. I think I said all those, was that all of them? Um, those are all festival, gather, festival gatherings that the Lord commanded for the Hebrew children or his people, the Israelites, to keep four times of remembering what God has done for them in pulling them out of um, places like Egypt, for example. This is the, the primary thing, right? They were slaves to, to the uh, Pharaoh. God rescues them out of there, and then he sets up these feasts to do a time of gathering together to read the Word, to read the, the Word of God, to reflect on the promises that he's kept and fulfilled. And now here we are all the way are through the entire um, set of scriptures and it's saying that we're going to have this heavenly Jerusalem Jerusalem in festal gathering. Those are the same type of words. You have you have your feast days and you have your gathering, your convocations. Those are the same um, use of the of the words. And so for eternity we see that God what he established becomes a greater fulfillment in eternity. Any thoughts or questions on uh, on that? Is it just that boring? <laughs> <laughs> You're just thinking, thinking it through, right? There's a, here we are, we have God, the judge of all. We've already talked about uh, Christ who sits on the throne. He's king, he's judge. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. What's that referring to? Those whose names will be written in a book of life, you and me and all the believers. Okay, so these are these are um, people, right? These are the spirits of people. This is an, this is an angelic realm, right? Because this is speaking of the spirits of the righteous made perfect, right? God created holy angels, and there's some that fell, but they were not set up for redemption. So this is a redemption turn being made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. What about 23 and the assembly of the firstborn who, who were enrolled in heaven? What about it? Well, I'm asking you. <laughs> I'm asking you. I just facilitate. <laughs> Thoughts on that? The assembly of the firstborn. Well, and that's us. That's us. That's us. That's us. Yeah. 
Is he right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when we um, t- when we typically hear the firstborn, who or what do we think of? Right. And he is the firstborn of all creation, Pastor Matt? Well, back to Sinai, when God calls Israel into covenant with him, he calls the whole nation his firstborn as well. Correct. So his people are the firstborn. And so, um, so I, with that in mind, that the assembly of the firstborn would be all those who are in Christ who are the first, who is, you know, the firstborn. So the assembly is those, all of us who are in Christ. Right, right. Which would be, which even the Old Testament saints would be included in that. Right. So what Pastor Matt said that when the Lord pulls Israel out, he calls forth the nation Israel and he says, Israel, mine elect, and then he calls them my firstborn. Right. And that's true. Were all of the people that pulled out of Israel um, saved, like sal- salvifically saved? We don't know that, but probably not, right? Because there's a, there's a distinction character between uh, the elect of God for salvation and those whom God calls for uh, an intended purpose for something else. So there, we have to always have our distinctions on that. One second, Michael. And then we have um, the other aspect of the firstborn Israel coming out, but who's the fulfillment of the firstborn? Who does it say that it was really pointed to? Jesus Christ, right? He's the firstborn. And so there's there's two aspects of that, and that's what Pastor Matt was saying. Now, when you when you come to this verse, this is all the firstborn um, who are enrolled in heaven. So this is this is speaking of, of multitudes. And again, those who have gone before, those of us who are still alive. Yeah, Michael. Are the assembly uh, of the firstborn and the spirits of the righteous men first the same group? Are they two separate? Two separate. Yeah, I know. I think I think the distinction there is that the one includes all those who have gone before, and then the second aspect of that can include those who are alive and remain that are in Christ, right? Because you see, um, the name would be past tense, so those were the people made perfect. Where the present tense are. Right. It's like right. passive. I don't know. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear. Well, it, I, I need to look it up, but it's also passive. And, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a passive it's, perfect. It's a passive perfect. Yeah, so it, yeah. Right, so it's there's just, a... It's not, we don't perfect ourselves. God right. does it. In that sense, we can say, um, when it speaks of our justification, we have been justified, right? That's an that's a aspect of past... Right, but it's it can also be in the perfect tense where it, it goes on. Right, it's, it's it's justified and goes on. Yeah, Curtis. What <laughs> <laughs> That's in a nutshell, right? Right. It's a perfect passive participle. <laughs> it's a perfect passive participle. I'll say that five times. <laughs> Did I see a hand over here? Okay. I said we were going to be theological, but I didn't want to go that deep. But. <laughs> Anything else on this? Just the just the idea here that Jesus Christ here is the mediator of the better covenant. So look at the assembly of the firstborn. Um, again, the holy convocations, which we talked about. Um, the the spirits that are enrolled in heaven. The assembly of those that are enrolled in heaven. When I was when I was looking this up, it reminded me of the part in Revelation chapter six here. 
It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This is an image of those who, from the time of Christ, those who gave and bore witness of Actually, the eternal God, it could even be before Christ, I suppose. But those who are, are truly God's people that have gone before us, they died. They, absent from the body, present with the Lord, right? And this is represented here as the souls under the altar. This is the souls under the altar because they haven't re, we haven't had the resurrection yet. So they haven't re, received their <laughs> eternal bodies. But what's their, what's their cry? How long? Yeah, how long? How much longer is this going to be before you avenge not your blood, but the blood of the martyrs here, right? How long before you judge and avenge the blood on those who dwell on earth? And this is the idea that we kind of all cry out for, as long as I'm included, I guess I'm ready for you to come, Lord. But this is the Lord says, hold on, hold on, right? They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Again, we're dealing with people, this, you know, again, depending on your views of, of the end times here, or what, what you think is going to take place at the end, or your eschatology of the, the idea that the kingdom of God exists, inaugurated at the time of the cross, through the blood of the martyrs is all those that belong in the kingdom of God through this time. And Jesus is saying here to, to the souls under the altar, just, just hold on, the number is not complete. We have, to, we have to go through this together. We have to continue to suffer for righteousness' sake until the number is complete. There's this, a number that the Father has in mind that he subscribed within the triune covenant that is going to be completed in history. Okay? And that's, what, that's kind of what we're all waiting for. Yes? Well, I'm just a curious point. If these people are in eternity now, with Christ. Um, I'm just curious when they have, when, my question to myself is, you know, when they have an eternal perspective, not a time perspective. Now, they've left time. I mean, it may be just to make a point. I, I don't think they're literally asking because they sort of know now. I think what you've stated is, a, is an excellent question because we're dealing with this apocalyptic literature, right, which has a particular genre, which is very symbolic in nature. And so you've got to be careful um, not to read into it too literally. In other words, are, are the souls that are in heaven right now literally underneath this altar, right? Or is it symbolic of what, what's going on in heaven in the presence in the aspect of their relationship with God in heaven, right? So this is really being written to the people uh, to encourage them that are left here on earth. And, and so I think that's um, maybe the best way to put that. But do you have a, anything else you want to add to that? I, I think, I mean, you know, Rebel, this has been revealed for the church. I, I would say for the church of all time, since, since, since Jesus' resurrection until now and whoever comes after us, that this unveiling of what the heavenly reality is is to encourage us and so to know that as hebrews 12 is the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us it, i think it's referring to the same thing here that they are interceding 
even now for us, that we know those who have gone before us are in heaven interceding before God, you know, um, to give us hope and strength and that we would, we would know that we would be able to appreciate God's patience in, in his um, delaying his return so that more would come. Right. And then in that, we ourselves would be willing participants as his people here on earth being witnesses to him so that that number would continue to grow. Right, right. It's just, I'm finding this week is so hard because I have so little understanding. Even though I know a lot, you know, feel like I know a lot. Um, it's just, I have no real idea. Do you know, we can only intake so much information or understanding. So, you know, like you said, in, in our limitations to be encouraged to endure, you know, through this stuff right. of life. Right. So, like, all that chapter 11, all those guys, they went through this thing, you know, a hundred years of building the ark. And he just uses those as an example to us. Keep on keeping on. The victory is ours. Don't give up. Uh, continue. Endure the hardship. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, there is this, we'll get there one day. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Kind of, that's what I see the book of Hebrews telling me. I don't know how you feel, but... I think exactly. you know, it just reminds me, I'm sorry, last thing I'll say. No, but, please. You know, the Christ himself, Jesus himself, he had an eternal perspective. He was laser beam focused on his task given to him by his father. And yet he mourned and he experienced things. And, and so he was, he is our, encur- you know, he's encouraging us in the reality of our experience. He's, and that's what's so valuable about his intercession on an understanding, at least in my, that he understands on all the detail of what we experience. So it's not to negate or criticize our experience and our struggle, um, but it is so, so incredibly encouraging knowing that he understands and um, that he's invited us in, you know. Right. And his grace is just, like, amazing. It absolutely is. You're saying... Guess I'm not picking this up. I'm Catholic. I was really Catholic. Me too. And so you always were taught to pray to Mother Mary to intercede for you or your relatives who went to heaven to intercede for you. And then when I came to be in the Presbyterian, they said, that's not true. Well, then Pastor Matt's saying that you're, they're interceding for us. Well, that's the same thing as... Well, but yeah, I'm not saying we pray to them. I'm not saying for us to pray to them. Okay. Right. I'm just saying that as a cloud of witnesses, they are there. They're on our side with us. I mean, our, we, the Holy Spirit in, you know, unites us to Christ. So he, the Holy Spirit's interceding for us in Jesus. And that's, we don't have to go through a saint or go through Mary. We, we have direct access to Jesus. But the picture that's being painted for us is that those who have gone before us are in the heavenly throne room, right, um, with, so I'm not saying pray to them as a, as a Catholic would say. I'm just saying that they they are in the presence of, of, of God worshiping Him and saying, "How long, O Lord?" Right? Does that make sense? They, the great cloud of witnesses 
are um, are participating in that. Cheering us on. In essence, mm -hmm. right. But, it, it, but we're in no way is it say, is it commanding us to pray to them? But isn't them? that an allegory or whatever that's called? It's not, that's not actually literal. They're not literally under the right? First of all, I'm asking myself, why do I include verses like this in this class? <laughs> and second of all, I'm about ready to turn this stage over to Pastor Matt, but... All right, I'm going to do... Let me answer that by asking this. All right, let's go back. This is, this is the book of Revelation, Right? It is so easy to understand. <laughs> if, you think I'm kidding, if you understand it as the first century people would have understood this book, because it has a genre, it's apocalyptic, which means that it's symbolic, it is not meant to forecast and describe every detail, like the scorpions with the stings in their tails, as helicopters that are going to happen someday. That's not the idea. It is a generalization of language that shows a persecuted church throughout the entirety of this age that we're now in, right, with Christ as our comforter who has gone before us and has suffered the same things with the understanding that we win. Christ has won the battle. That is it. Then the second aspect of the book of Revelation is that it recapitulates the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, right? So you have the opening chapters, which we all understand, but at the end of uh, chapter 6, I believe, we're actually going to see where the people are crying out that the mountain should fall on them, right? Why? Because the great day of the Lord has come. That's actually speaking of and demonstrating the coming of the Lord at that time. And then it says, and then after this. So now we begin a second section of the same story with a different aspect or point of view. Think about a football game with multi-angle cameras saying, hey, now let's watch it from this angle with more detail and greater descriptions of destruction up to a certain point. right? And then all of a sudden it goes all the way back to, we have is it in chapter 12 with um, the one that's about ready to give birth with the serpent waiting to, to swallow it up. Right? It's another description, right? And then we go all the way to chapter 20, which is a, from chapter 20, by itself stands as a recapitulation of the whole story. With the binding of Satan, which takes place where and when? Anybody? At the cross. At the cross. It's not a future thing where we have Satan bound. Because Satan is bound for a particular purpose, which is that the nations should no longer be deceived until the time that is selected. Why is that not coming to me right now? It's the nation shall no longer be deceived until whatever. But there's this aspect that, again, it's being recapitulated. Now, forget all of that for a minute. And let's just think about the genre of this book, which we said is, it's not an allegory, but it's kind of read like an allegory. It's just symbolic language. And when people read this, they would know because a lot of these um, symbols would have been part of their language and that literature of the day that um, what do we call that 200 year BC type stuff from the apocalypse, intertestamental period? A lot of this type of uh, genre was, was written, okay? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while. This is speaking of those that have, have gone before, right? Is the aspect that they or we, when we go into heaven, will be given a literal white robe? 
And if yes, that's fine. But what's the idea of this? What is the what is the symbolism of the white robe? Purity. 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 Uh, ours, because we were so good. What is it? We're cleansed by the blood of Christ. We're cleansed by the blood of Christ. I heard somebody said covered. Who said covered? Covered. Oh, what is that a reflection of? What's the what's the covering? The day of atonement. Yom Kippur. Yeah, that, that word kippur, is a, that atoning, that atonement, it's, it's the same exact word that's used to describe the ark being covered with pitch. That pitch is, a, is, is atoning, it's kippur, right? It's covered inside and out. That atoning sacrifice, the white that we get is the atoning blood of Christ. This is what the first century mind should be thinking, not like, hey, yeah, I got a new set of digs on. No, this is a symbol of, oh, I'm wretched, I'm filth. And he covers me with his blood. He's covered me with his righteousness, right? That's why we, we see a contrast in terms sometimes of like, um, uh, we're made clean as snow with the crimson stain. I'm thinking of Isaiah or something, aren't I? You know what I'm talking about? How it talks about the blood of Christ. And yeah, and then we're, we're made as pure as snow. What? You're, no, that's, not, that's not true. It's not white. It's, not, it's, it's red. No, it's, it's symbolic language. And then we're told to rest a little while longer. Because why? Because... Once you're dead, there's no more work to be done. It's here and now that the church is called forth to effort in serving Christ because this is what he says, right? There's, there, there's so many aspects of, of that Day of Atonement, too. We'll talk about that some other time. That'll be a class to come. But until the number of their fellow servants, that's the elect. That's the elect. And now to our lesson. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions about that? Was that confusing at all? I mean, it probably was. It depends on your, how you read the book of Revelation and what, how you've been raised. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's a very big stumbling block, or it was for me for a long period of time, to, to be able to view it, things that way without... Who, who was fans of Hal Lindsey? The books of Hal Lindsey, The Great Late Planet Earth. Come on, that book was written before I was born. That, what? That? I, I think... Um, what's her name in front that's Jeanette. 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 I think it's all encapsulated in what Jeanette said. I'm not that you're not a good teacher, but um, I think it all has to do with what you said. All of that. It's Jesus Christ. It's not the people underneath that has come, you know, with heaven. The focus and the point is all salvation. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, I think so. I know. I went a wrong, long way around the barn to say the same thing, Michael. Uh, Revelation 22, 12 through 16 answers all these questions. Theoretically, and we're told to wash our robes in the tree of life. Hmm. So we have an obligation here not to add to what we speculate about what may or may not happen. Right. Yeah, that's good. Did you have your, were you going to say something? Get to your lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I've got you to wrap everything up next week, which I didn't even know about. We could just read the last verse of chapter 13 and be done. Therefore, so all of that to say what Christ has accomplished, where he's at, where he's seated, his complete sovereignty over all of us. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, right? And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, 
for our God is a consuming fire. See, what was going on at this time of this writing is that the temple was still standing. And there were many that weren't accepting the finality of what Christ had accomplished. And they, they kept wanting to take the old way, the old system, and turn that into the kingdom, right? Everything was about the temple sacrifice and perfecting. They wanted, they wanted their Messiah to come and perfect that system on earth in that natural way, not in a supernatural way. And so those that, I don't know if it comes up in the next, yeah, so... Was it the verse before this that was talking about, oops, sorry. I might not have it. Anyway, do you remember when he was talking about that when Moses was up on on Sinai and there was the thunders and rumblings that everybody was scared to death of all that? Well, that's the shaking of the mountain, right? And the writer, the author of Hebrews here is saying that there's a day that's coming that's not only going to shake the mountain here on earth, but all of creation, including the angelic realm. It's going to be physical and it's going to be spiritual. And that's speaking of the final judgment of all, of all things where all impurity is going to be, be wiped out. And that's, that's something to look forward to because we have Christ who mediates that perfect covenant with the Father, right? That, that's been past tense with, with Christ and his relationship with the Father. There is no more judgment to be had on those who belong to Christ because he paid the price for all of us. Oh, here we go. See, you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not ex- escape when they refused him, him who warned them on earth, speaking of Moses, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Moses gave one warning. The one who warns from heaven is now Jesus Christ. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. Okay, so this is the idea of, of total judgment of impurity, right? All those things that are wholly set apart for God and eternal matters um, cannot be shaken because they belong they belong to God. So this is kind of speaking of that that final judgment, that shaking of Sinai at one point, and then yet once more we're going to have the final day of the Lord. You know, think about what it said back in Hebrews too. You know, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This is what the people um, that are being preached to were still having struggles um, escaping from was that old temple um, sacrifice. Okay, any thoughts or comments on that, Susan? Um. You know, so many Christian churches believe we have to have a third temple, and they believe all this Israel stuff is happening so that they can have an excuse to wipe off the Temple Mount and build another temple to start sacrificing all over again. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Even believers believe that. Yeah. It's ridiculous when you look at that. When you look at it in that, from that aspect, that's correct, right? Um, and the, the tough part is because there's so many of us, depending on how we were taught being raised in church, once you're ingrained to see or expect that future earthly tabernacle or the millennial kingdom that's yet to come, um, 
you guys have trouble with your suppositions, things that you believe are true, and then somebody comes along and throws something at you, you're like, you're an idiot, right? I mean, you, you have to be because I know I'm not one, <laughs> right? But that's, you know, this is why we have to, to have classes like this, and we have pastors that we go to after I get done and say, how many things did I say wrong, right? Because we want to be edified in the understanding. <laughs> The understanding of the word uh, properly and corporately, um, because it's it's then that we grow in strength um, in the refining of the word. So we have to rely on one. Nobody has perfect theology in this room that I know of. So absolutely, that's 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 correct. But yeah, the first of all, as Pastor Chris said last Wednesday, is that the the Ezekiel t- temple, if that's the one that you're thinking of, it doesn't even fit in Jerusalem. It's it's way too big, right? So now, what do you do with that action? But there's there's Spiritual aspects of it, we know the future temple um, that comes down in the new creation, the holy city of Jerusalem, is a spiritual temple, right? We know that that's coming down. It, again, it goes back to covenant because it uh, speaks of two things that complement each other. One is the, the holy city of Jerusalem. The other one is the, the bride of Christ, which speak of the exact same thing, right? And this is interesting, too, because the bride speaks of a marriage relationship. That's covenant. That's covenant, right? And so that covenant that begins, that eternal covenant, speaks of a bride that the Father's going to um, grant to the Son, but yet the Son has to be the one to redeem. That's what, again, you go back to John 17, and Jesus says, hey, I've accomplished what you've told me to do, right? Now make them one as we are one. And what do we see in the garden? What's the very first thing that takes place in the garden? Oh, a, a marriage Right, a man and woman, the marriage, and so that covenant goes all the way through. What do we see in Sinai? Moses says, um, "This is the this is the command that the Lord gives." Right, he's proposing this covenant, and the people say, "All that the Lord says, we will do." Oh, they accept the marriage proposal, so that's that covenant. Now, are they faithful to it? No, because there's only one that's faithful. That's God, right? But the Lord holds on to his remnant, and that's the marriage relationship, and that's why the church is considered the bride of Christ. Right? And then you can talk about the wheats and the tares, those that are really in the church, those that go through the church. There's wheats and tares in Israel, there's wheats and tares in the body of Christ, and only the Father knows who they, I mean, only God knows, of course the Son does too, but who, who they truly are. So let's not escape this salvation for the sake of coming up with something that tickles our ears but that's being preached from so many pulpits, right? I think it goes clear back to Adam and Eve and the apple and that God only wanted us to know so much and not be as hard as him and to be able to read and to absorb but not understand. Yeah. God gave us that apple routine to keep us from knowing everything and I thank goodness he did. <laughs> Absolutely, Susan. Uh, one of the things I think also was wrong in the I was at a messianic celebration right after day after Rosh Hashanah, um, where a um, messianic believer, a Jewish believer, he's a doctor in Ann Arbor. He said, "Oh, all the Jews are going to come to Christ." I'm like, "No, no, no, no." Hmm. And there's tears. They do. How did that get her go? What did he say? <laughs> he just looked at me like, you know, had three heads. But it, like you said, there's tears. There's the tears everywhere. It's an individual now. It's an individual. No people group or, or denomination are all saved or whatever. 
You have to make an individual decision. And yes, he has a special maybe calling from uh, that on the hearts of the Jewish people and Hebrews, but you have to accept him more diplomatic. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be those that don't. Not every Jew's going to be saved. So that's one of those things that, just like the Temple Mount rebuilding the temple, I think people are going down that wrong path. Yeah, I, there's. There's, I, I always say this, right? If if there's three people talking about the Book of Revelation, there's twelve opinions, <laughs> right? Because there's there's so many aspects of uh, well, it could be, it could be this, it could be that, right? And that's when you start to get too particular about um, the fulfillment of these things. But if we if we let all of the rest of the Bible testify to the truths behind the symbols of the book of Revelation, we're going to be way more consistent, right? There's this thing called the analogy of faith, which says that you can't have something stand in isolation, mean something different than the rest of what the scripture says, right? You have to be faithful to these things. So you have to use the entirety of scripture to harmonize the, the true message. And that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to, you know, find our our most consistent and likely our most truthful interpretation of God's word. And always, as Pastor Chris always says, you know, stick with the main things and the plain things, right? Because if, we're, if, you're, if you're founded in those, the more difficult things kind of fade away. They're not going to matter. And we're, we don't have to worry about some of that stuff, right? And that's why we don't say that the interpretation of the book of Revelation has to do with salvific issues, right? It's, uh, uh, I think... It, makes it easier when you're interpreting it more consistently with the rest, rest of the scriptures. But, you know, this is, the, this is the idea of it. As we come into chapter 13, and Pastor Matt will wrap up the second half next week, but it says, let brotherly love continue. What's brotherly love? Phileo agape is, is, is another type of word for it, but phileo is the, is the brotherly love. There's lots of different words for love, but um, the brotherly love is speaking of love within what? Within the body, with, within the within the body of believers, right? There's a there's a fam, familiar uh, aspect to this. Let that continue. In that way, the rest of the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's talking about loving within the body of believers, right? Of course, we're to also reach out and love upon our neighbors that aren't saved, but really to have um, a particular relationship of servitude within the body of believers is what the, is what the people from the outside are going to see. And what do we hear so many times? Are you kidding me? I don't want to be a part of that church. Look at all the hypocrites, right? That's because we fall short and we, we argue amongst ourselves, but that, you know, we have to be prayerful about these things so we can be um, more humble. And that's why we have discipline from, from the Lord to act as Christ act in a, in a manner of humility. Now, this is a reflection also of Romans 12, isn't it? Your sacrifices of praise, and uh, again, in the aspect of, of brotherly love, right? Spiritual sacrifice and brotherly love. Um, this, to me, is probably one of the most difficult aspects of our walk. And I'm not kidding. 
Why is that, Jim? Why do you think? I'm here to tell you. How can we do it? Right? Oh, I can't believe Pastor preached that way. Oh, I can't believe he interpreted things that way. Oh, man, look at this person over here. Can you believe the way he taught that class today? Right? Nitpick. Right? Some of the most, the closer your relationships, sometimes the more difficult. And that's why marriage is so easy. <laughs> when a brother in Christ disappoints you or trashes you or hurts you, yes. it hurts way more than a worldly person yes. who judges you or whatever. Please. Just have a thought. Yes, you know, please. Um, from something Matt said last week, you know, about, or the last time I was here, about comfort. And then I had a thought from something I was reading this week, you know, about why the rich, you know, it's harder for the rich to come in because we provide her all comfort. And I love comfort, right? So it's to have a sacrificial love, we have to give up comfort. We have to be sacrificial, die to self. None of this is comfortable. So if I don't get rid of my desire and goals to be comfortable, I don't grow, I don't love other people. I mean, superficially, yeah, I might even make sacrifices for them. Right. But I'm not really facing myself. If I'm facing myself, I'm almost continually uncomfortable. So that's something that God has been confronting me with this week. Right. Is I have no idea my offense. You know, I mean, he loves me right. and his grace, you know, and all that. It's not condemnation, but it's a realization in the light of the safety to do that <laughs> self-examination because of his love. Right. He just provides us everything we need, right? Yeah, that's really well said. Can I just add to that? You can. I think you're brilliant, by the way. But um, <laughs> She made sure she was looking at you when that was said. Oh, I'm your newest fan. I don't know who she is. But anyway, um, what brought to mind when she said that was um, a story about, well, I actually saw it with my own eyes. Um, and then I read about the first kibbutz that was attacked by the uh, Palestinians. And then I saw the pictures of the Palestinians. They always taped what they did. And one house they went to was so cute. It could have been on Pinterest or Telegram, you know, like of, of the cutest houses. And they were going through and they were drinking out of the refrigerator. And they were like, they showed a panorama of her house in her garden. It was just the coolest thing ever. And then they lit it on fire. And the comfort that they, and then I read more about how comfortable they were in that kibbutz. And they were all family and they were all just so comfortable. And they loved each other and everything was just so wonderful. And so we, you know, our comfort can be gone in a split second. Yeah. Faith, hope, and love are the greatest is love. Right. The aspect of the believer's life um, in the trials, the tribulations, the struggles with the relationships that we have is to always keep the vertical focus, right? Because it is not about us. It's not about me. It's about 
what Christ has done and who he is and who I am to imitate. So if we've been wronged by others, it's the, I know it probably is not going to be our first thought, but our second thought should be, thank you, Holy Spirit, for letting me know that Christ died for a sinner such as me and that I need to be, you know, thinking in those same aspects because that, that person has every right to the love of Christ that, that I do. Yes, sir. And that's what it says in verse 28 there where it says, let us be thankful or grateful, you know, and I think that that covers a multitude just to have that attitude, you know, the old saying attitude of gratitude, but there's so much in that. Right. To, to say, oh, thank you, God. You know, I'm saved, you know, and that I can, I can look at this and I don't understand it all, but man, what I do understand, you know, we're on the winning team. Right. It's cool. Exactly. No, that's, that's exactly right. And this is what the author of Hebrews is actually doing, is he's showing people that are struggling with an old religion that's been made obsolete by Christ and in showing them why and how he's fulfilled the entirety of their practice throughout history. Okay? And he's given them argument after argument and now is saying that if you do not repent, if you do not follow the Messiah, the true Messiah who laid his life down for you, then there is, there's no, no, second, there's no second chance for that type of rejection, right? And that's what it says in, um, in Hebrews 6, 4, right? For those who are once enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, if they should fall away, it's impossible for them to be renewed again unto repentance. Why? because they tread the blood of God underfoot. They, they basically said, uh, what you've done is not good enough. We're just going to stick with the old system, right? It's not about the um, unforgivable sin um, in, an, in a sense for, for, for people, but for the rejection of Jesus Christ, which is the only save, sa- saving grace that we have. Michael? I wasn't the same thing. Oh. Brother Lockwood, that yeah, that's that's uh, that's awesome. Pastor Matt, will you pray us out? Sure. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for your promise to one another and to us that we would have a Savior like Jesus who would come and die for our sins, who could raise us up. Um, from our spiritual death into new life and a new hope. And we do look forward to the new heavens and the new earth that will never be shaken, but will exist in all eternity with you in perfect fellowship and unity. So Lord, we pray that as we um, ask in faith that you would give us the grace to love one another in light of that day, that we would learn and more and more each day what it means to live in such a way that our prayer that you taught us to pray would be fulfilled, that we experience that taste of heaven even here on earth. <clears throat> and so we thank you that you've given us the church and your spirit that we might learn and grow and practice the love of Christ. His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.
Be the light. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gary. You're welcome.